This podcast is strictly for mature listeners. So if you're under the legal drinking age, you are not permitted to listen under UK law. If you would prefer not to hear conversations about alcohol, you may want to listen to something else. But if that's not you, stay with us for Bar Fabric Presents. Hello and welcome to Bar Fabric Presents, a podcast brought to you by the Brown Foreman Advocacy Team. Each episode, you'll hear from our team of ambassadors as we share stories about the brands we're proud to represent and the people who've inspired us along the way. I'm Ali Didienko, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to this episode of Bar Fabric Presents. In every episode, you'll hear from one of the team defending drinks that either have a bad rep or are overlooked in a segment called You're Wrong About. In this episode, Charlotte will be stating her case for why she loves to drink at large chains. You'll also hear How'd You Get That Job, where an industry expert will delve into the details of their career and give tips on how to get a job in their profession. And the best bits from our catch-up with Johan Eklund of Sharp and Dapper. Plus, in this episode, you'll hear Joseph's conversation with John Robinson. All of that's still to come, but first, here's Charlotte. Hi, I'm Charlotte Coyle, and I am here to tell you you're wrong about chain restaurants. Let's pause before we even get going. I know that none of you are truly against chain restaurants, and of course I believe it's incredibly important to support our independence. But when you're hungry, or thirsty, or simply walking around looking for a great experience, I want you to consider bumping the chains higher up on your list of options. The rest of my bar fabric team often laugh at me for my absolute passion for the chains. I have a favourite one in particular. I can give you some clues, and if you ever meet me in person, it's not a reach to assume that I'll recommend that you visit. My favourite chain invented potato skins. Imagine having that as a claim to fame. They have a propeller near the bar in every venue because the bar propels the rest of the restaurant. They have consistently excellent cocktails, corn dogs, and of course, Jack and Cokes. Something in particular that amazes me and fascinates me about this venue is their passion for flair bartending. They've really been key in popularising it. They host Bartender Olympics globally every year, with the skills they've learned on the job being tested to the limits over several days. Now, I won't pretend that I know anything about flair bartending. I kind of missed the boat on that one. But I know it takes an inordinate amount of dexterity and practice. I know bartenders who've worked there 15, 20 years ago who still use all the same techniques. I've had the pleasure of working for them and with them over the years. And even now, I'm still blown away by their attention to detail and amazing customer service. Working in a chain changes your bartending DNA. I spoke to a friend recently and asked them to reflect on their time in the chain. Joe said he still asks himself years later... What can I do better every day? This was instilled in him until it was second nature, and now he sees this as a classic trait of a corporate bartender. The checklists to aid his consistency were key for him then, during setup, service, and breakdown, and they are now that he's a business owner. I do love a checklist. This is something also incredibly important that we can learn from chains. What's amazing about having so many venues all over the UK, or even all over the world, is you're not limited to working in one place, or waiting for an independent bar to expand, which we all know can be a huge challenge. 
it's much easier to move up the employment ladder. Almost everyone I know who has worked in a chain restaurant or bar now owns their own restaurant or bar. No matter what you want to create in the world, the business skills you can learn from a venue like this are key to moving forward with your career. Chains, realistically, should be the exact same no matter where you are. You should be able to get a drink that looks the same and tastes the same, whether you're in Edinburgh, Liverpool or London. There are so many parallels between this and making whiskey. We need Jack Daniels, for example, to taste the same wherever you go. Jack Daniels is an extremely powerful brand. It's one of the biggest spirits brands in the world. Its influence on bars worldwide is something I find incredibly inspiring. I feel the same about chains. Their power and influence on the bar industry is huge. It's something we should get behind. We have the power as consumers to spend and support wherever we want. And it's absolutely important to support our local businesses. But sometimes when you need something familiar and something with no surprises, you've got to get to a chain. I really, really love my favorite chain. I find the consistency incredibly comforting. When I'm traveling for work and feel like I'm really far away from home, I think it's really key to have things you know. So I always look out for the familiar white and red stripes. That's another clue. Thanks, Charlotte, for reminding us why we find comfort in visiting a bar where nobody knows your name. Today, we're lucky enough to have Jackie Zyken with us. She is a hugely versatile figure at Brown Foreman. In her role as master taster, she leads the newest releases out of Old Forester. She's based over in Kentucky, but she also works around the globe as a brand ambassador too. So we've got her here with us today to talk a little bit about her career and her role at Brown Foreman. So how are you, Jackie? I'm fantastic. How are you? Good, thank you. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Okay, so as you probably know, you know, being a brand ambassador across the globe, a huge part of advocacy and a huge part of some activations is hosting dinners and food pairing events. I was wondering what is the most interesting Old Forester flavor pairing that you've seen in food, if there is one that comes to mind? Yeah. So, and, you know, it depends on the concept and what they're wanting to do with those sorts of things. And, you know, it kind of goes all across the board. Um, thankfully, for a lot of the products we have. So I know y'all have 1870 over there um, as part of our whiskey row lineup. We have four whiskey rows. So isn't it a very nice thing to do them all in order? And the flavor profile actually works in order for doing a four or a five course meal for it too. But I swear by it. I swear, swear, swear up and down by the old Forster 100 proof. Uh, specifically in a very clean, very classic old fashioned with lobster bisque. It's like the weirdest thing, but it's so good. It is so, so good. I swear by it. That sounds amazing. <laughs> now I want that right now. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so Old Forester, as you and I both know, was started by George Garvin Brown in 1870. So something that I really love about that story is that obviously it was the first bottled bourbon. But George Garvin Brown was kind of one of the first people to use marketing as a tool. I really think that's incredible just considering, you know, how huge marketing is as a tool for us today. And obviously in that frame of mind, we've had huge amounts of progress in the industry uh, since 1870, but not just in terms of how we bottle uh, and market bourbon. So 
with that in mind, let's not think 150 years ahead, but where do you hope American whiskey will be in 50 years' time? Honestly, I just hope that the boom that we're in right now doesn't fizzle out as just another trend. Um, Drink trends tend to cycle through in uh, give or take 30, 35 year periods. So we're kind of not even to the midpoint of it yet. So I hope it sustains. But more importantly, I think there's a whole lot of elements to every industry and ours is, you know, of course, relevant to this as well where people just do things because that's the way they've always done things and they don't pause and think maybe let's do it differently um, unless something massive happens. So there's a massive shift. And so um, right now, as it stands, we obviously do not shortcut any part of our quality process. And I can only speak from the, from the angle of old Forster. I can't speak on behalf of other distilleries out there, but we've got all of that buttoned up quite a bit. What I think we really need to start opening our minds to is more sustainable packaging. Not that glass isn't, but it, we have a long way to go with that because, you know, this industry is full of so much just extra, so much lanyap, if you will. So much like, oh, here's a branded this and a branded this and a branded this and here's a this and a this and a this and a this. And there's just so much stuff that we really do create piles and piles and piles of branded things that then just sit on this earth that we're all kind of sharing with each other. I just think eventually we're going to have to market things and products or sorry, package things into much smarter, smarter vessels and smarter ways. We haven't even scratched the surface of that yet with it being alcohol and it's reactive and it's hard to find vessels that aren't going to alter the flavor or the composition of what's going on in there. It's a little bit different, but we go through a lot, right? It would make such a massive difference if every single alcohol company made a big shift. And instead of having plastic napkin caddies that were branded, if you literally took every single one of those out of production and replaced it with something that was more friendly think about the impact that could have. Like we're talking like hundreds of thousands, if not millions of napkin caddies, literally in the world. Yeah. I think that goes a lot for a lot of brown form and distilleries as well. Like that's on a kind of a personal note, that's one of the reasons that I love working for them because it does seem like brown form are really making moves towards, you know, being zero waste and everything is recycled and, you know, they're really trying to become forerunners in that in that sense in sustainability which is really cool definitely you mentioned our UK bartenders pick the barrel pick earlier and I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about that we've kind of touched on you know having a well-trained palate and picking different notes out obviously bartenders I think have quite a different palate probably to a consumer so I was wondering whether you found anything interesting or unique from that barrel pick that you haven't really seen or any notes that people picked out that you thought, hmm, that's quite interesting. <laughs> the most beautiful part about that pick was that it was it was a, a moment in history for not just the brand, but for, for all of them as well. I mean, it was the first single barrel ever that's been done for that market. And it was picked by those who should be picking it, which is bartenders. I will always have the secret deep down loyalty to bartenders because I, that's exactly where I came from. So um, I remember doing the pick and I remember 
being really, really impressed by, because these are people, I had, you know, we're all strangers in the room, um, just being really impressed by how fine-tuned everybody's palette was and how much people really agreed or very strongly disagreed with each other because everybody is always, you know, you have your own idea. But from what I remember, though, it seemed... It, it didn't really upset anybody the, the the one that they picked. It was in everybody's top selection, but there were a couple of people that were like, ah, I really like that one. And then we didn't get it. And, but it was, it was funny. Um, yeah. It's very interesting from a bartender's perspective because you are subjected to so many different flavor profiles on such a regular basis that your sensory yeah. bank is so much more broad than just the everyday, I hate using this term, the everyday Joe, you know? So um, I always trust the bartenders, always, always trust the bartender's palate, for sure. I wish I, I think, do I have a bottle of that at home? I gotta look and see if I have a bottle. (laughs) It's sold out in the UK, like, really, really quickly. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I thought it was really encouraging because, um, you know, you can be a part of social media groups for bourbon and there's a lot over here in the UK and it was a lot of you know consumers and whiskey fans who were really loving that barrel pick and I thought that was really nice I thought they kind of it shows that people put their trust in bartenders I suppose um I'm but I'm like you I'm always like got that loyalty to uh bartenders so I would love to um I've only tried it once. I think I tried it that day in Manchester when you came over and did the tasting, but I would love to try and get my hands on another bottle. <laughs> it was very well balanced. And I think that's that's the beautiful part is that it's it's not that, oh, bartenders like everything to be super fruit forward or super sweet or super spicy or super whatever. It's that there's an element of balance and structural integrity that that barrel had that they sort of were able to sniff out through the varying flavor profiles. And I think that's kind of what it comes down to is that, you know, the cocktails that make it on the list are usually, or you hope anyways, um, the best versions of the work. Right. Like you, you went and you, you were inspired by whatever. So you captured it in liquid form and here it is. But you know, you had to alter the acid. You had to alter the sugar a little bit. You had to alter this. Uh, The general like public's, palette and what they deem in their mind is oh this is good really is a all just an experience of a stage that's been set by bartenders it's really fascinating to think about it there's a certain um I don't know there's a certain power of influence there that is much wider and more broad than you really realize um I that it's only every now and then that you get the people that come in and are like let's make something different. And I want this thing that I had on this one cruise ship this one time. And it was this one color. You can make that right. And you're like, what are you talking about? (laughs) But for the most part, people don't just like, you know, a la carte piece it together. They rely on a cocktail menu or they rely on a suggestion. Those drinks are constructed in general. I don't want to say for everyone, because I've had some pretty poor ones in my day that came from a list, but like, The, in general, they're constructed with balance and to offer diversity of flavor profile. And I think it's it's really interesting because we do the same thing. All the barrels in the program to select from are different. They all taste like different things, but they all have a balance to them in varying degrees. And that group really honed in on 
what was going to be structurally sound. And they did a really great job. That's amazing. If you could give those bartenders or a younger version of yourself a piece of advice. (laughs) They don't want it, trust me. (laughs) So let's put it another way. If there was a skill that you would say bartenders should focus on or bartenders should maybe consider looking into if they were wanting to jump over the bar and come to this side of the industry. Is there a skill that you would say you find important? Honestly, the most standout skill, I hate even calling it a skill, but like it's whatever. It's it's so funny. It was punctuality. Like there is this thing. I'm like covering my face like in <laughs> embarrassment with this right now but there is this thing in the industry where a lot of brands come to realize from experience after experience after experience that when they try to work with people in the alcohol industry in the bar industry specifically they're always trying to superimpose their nine to five schedule onto someone who is not used to that someone who has in their perspective an unorthodox schedule of operation right the world the corporate world doesn't operate on that schedule for the most part and I think showing up on time at minimum on time if not early is going to win you points across the board if you want to make that transition from bar behind the bar to in front of the bar working for a brand or working in production or in marketing or any sort of corporate applicable whatever position has to do with booze. Yeah, I completely agree. So I know, I'm sorry. I don't have any like, make sure you study chemical engineering or whatever, like do it or don't. There's a lot of people in bourbon that honestly don't have scientific related degrees. I'm not one of those people, but I know them. Like they've got psychology degrees. Like there's people who are in positions similar to mine that literally were stand-up comedians their entire life. And then all of a sudden just like really like drinking whiskey and here they are. <laughs> but it's it's so interesting because people think, oh, you know, if you want to work in, in alcohol or in whiskey specifically or whatever, like, oh, here's the job. You're either going to be the master distiller or you're going to be a brand ambassador or those are the jobs. That is absolutely not the case. We have literally like... We employ interior designers. Those are the people that are designing all of our spaces and our home places and all of those experiences. Like we've got graphic designers that some people are sitting right now in a program studying graphic design, thinking that they're going to make, I don't know what the hell, but you're one day going to design the birthday bourbon label. You know what I mean? It's like very interesting, like accounting, legal, all of that, like that all touches this industry And it's just, it's much more diverse and layered than you really realize. So there's, there's a lot of places where you can fit into it that didn't necessarily require, you know, studying jars of scented cotton balls or something. (laughs) (laughs) So our last question, I wanted to know, um, Firstly, what is your favorite Old Forester expression? And second part of the question is, what is your go-to Old Forester cocktail? It's really hard for me to pick a favorite kid, you know, but I judge it based on which one do I go through the most from a volume standpoint at my own house. That's That's your judge of which one you prefer. And it's the 100 proof. It's the everyday 100 proof. So... Um, and that being said, I am a diehard old fashioned drinker. I just am, um, but a very clean, not what I call the old smashing, where you muddle up a bunch of fruit <laughs> yeah. in there. 
Um, no, just bitters and sugar and booze and a stir and a little little spritz of zest on top, and you're good. And yeah, so delicious. I know. Now I want one. We got to stop talking about cocktails because now I want to drink and it's like, well, it's almost noon. That's okay, right? <laughs> now you want an old fashioned and a lobster bisque for lunch. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's funny. Um, but yeah, so that's all of our questions. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for doing this. Next up, we'll hear excerpts from our conversation with Swedish-born bartender and entrepreneur, Johan Eklund, the one-man band behind Sharp and Dapper, a brand of high-quality, specialist accessories repurposed for a new audience. Reaching, moving, and bending for bottles comes with its own set of sartorial requirements. By chance, Johan discovered shirt stays, a simple, practical accessory which secures the shirt to the socks, keeps it neatly tucked, and creates an elegant, streamlined silhouette. Needless to say, he's been wearing them ever since. So I wondered, where did the idea come from? Uh, the idea started back in 2000, and, well, not really 2008, but I found Shirt Stays back in 2008. I was working at the East Room, um, at Jonathan Downey Bar, a member's bar above so Socho, um, and they wanted us to wear braces. Um, Milk and honey style, but a bit more relaxed. So I went on to eBay to find braces and I saw these really weird straps that attached my shirt to my socks. And I went, oh, that is genius. And why did Johan start making and selling shirt stays? Um, I started wearing them back in 2008, fell in love with them. Um, didn't think any more of it, really. And um, a few years later, I was working in a bar in Soho. Um, and one Sunday morning... I uh, was looking at my payslip and I went, what, what am I doing? Like, this is, this is disgusting. Hmm. Uh, the shirt stays that I worn the night before was on the floor next to me and I saw them and I went, I wonder if I could make that myself and sell them. Um, so I got my laptop. I started looking up different, uh, the different materials needed and found out that I could find all of them. I went to Argos and bought a sewing machine and I started making them. Johan shares how he was able to build a buzz with the brand. I didn't want to spend a lot of money on advertising because it is a lot of money you have to spend if you want to get somewhere. So I was relying on word of mouth, really, um, and social media. And it worked really well. Um, after a couple of years, uh, Durham went off and bought a pub so he couldn't be part of the business, business anymore. So I, I bought him out uh, and it was just me. So when it was just me, I had to support. It became easier money-wise. And I worked at Happiness Forgets for about two and a half years, I think it was, whilst running the business. And then it just come to that stage where I was selling enough so I could support myself. And what were some of the challenges growing a small business? You know, I was single. Um, I was living in a really nice flat chair. I was working from my room. I had a big room in the flat chair, so I could work from there and sleep there. Um, I, I was just, I was loving it. It was a really good time in my life. I loved working at Happiness Forgets. Couldn't wait to get into work every day. Uh, and then I came home and do something else that I found really interesting. And setting up a business is fun. It is really interesting. If you enjoyed today's segment with Johan, be sure to check out sharpanddapper.com. 
is Four More Bars, a segment dedicated to the best music in hospitality, where I'll be thrusting myself completely out of my depth by speaking to experts in the musical arts. And today we're joined by John Robinson, who is a musician, DJ and operator at the Umbrella Project. So that's venues such as Discount Suit Company and the Sun Tavern. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, and I appreciate you coming all this way. We first met when I was doing some uh, shifts in the Sun Tavern, which was one of the best parts of my life. Uh, and I was lucky because I got to stand on this corner section of the bar, which was right next to whoever's DJing. So yes. I quite a lot. And I, um, it was, I mean, we always have good staff at the Sun Tavern. Um, but I was overjoyed when you turned up because I think we'd been acquainted sometime before but we didn't really know each other that well but i sort of had a mental note that like this guy's pretty cool he's sound he's you know he's good good um yeah just a good laugh uh we're off to a flying start <laughs> yeah. this is good the compliments are flowing because yeah, uh, I, I wasn't this is quite, a loving you know if someone said uh we know this guy right we know this guy john I'm like yeah he's that sort of charismatic scouse guy who hangs around the sun tavern a lot um, but then, yeah, uh, that exposure was was really, really good fun. Such wicked nights there. Um, John, for me, has always been... Here we go. <laughs> here we John, go. for me, has always been... Uh, well, I've, I've got it written down here. I quite like it. He's the personification of the Umbrella Project's casual but very real involvement in the world of music. Um, it's also... Yeah, you can speak in a second. It's also <laughs> blindingly cool... And leaves me all starry-eyed, but obviously on the surface, I'm trying to maintain all cool. Like, yeah, no, it's, it's fine. Yeah, I, I, I know all the bands. Um, well, I think the first bit absolutely is like, um, I believe I probably am the personification of everything that is music about the Umbrella Project um, in the sense that um, it's my bloody job to be. Just so we can clear it up ahead of time for anyone listening, if you had a business card, do you have a business card? I've had business cards. What would it say on it? For your current role. <laughs> Head of music. Oh, that's a wicked role. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. It's kind of, I mean, I, when people ask me what I do, I, I ask myself that question out loud to them while they're asking me. <laughs> because it's like, I don't, I, all those umbrella terms that like, like head of, I've been head of comms as well, or, or comms manager or something like that because that sounds quite good. with with the music comes events um and some marketing and some sort of social media side of stuff and things like that so you know my hat my my hat has been on all of those things is that a saying i think you've worn all of those hats i have i've i've had several my, hats yeah i've had those hats yeah not your hat applying to several yeah. different roles. My hat has been on several um, <laughs> hat stands. Yeah, you're right. Um, yes, <laughs> I love that. Well, I mean, the t the way that it's going to work uh, today, yes, um, is that we're going to talk about a few uh, songs that I've got you to select ahead of time. Uh, and there's a little disclaimer that I will always make in this. I will always get my guests to send me their list ahead of time because <laughs> what I cannot pretend to do is have you come in here, say whatever song you're going to say, and then for me to be like, ah, oh, yeah, I've got all these opinions about that. Yeah. I develop them ahead of time. Good. Make no mistake. Um, a second thing, due to licensing issues, now it is, sadly, I cannot play these songs, um, but we will, of course, um, release a playlist alongside the podcast so that people can listen along if they fancy it. Perfect. 
And um, then I don't have to sing them. You don't. Well, you can. <laughs> we can. We'll see how it goes. All right. Well, look, I mean, let's get into it. We have, first of all, a song to go with your favorite cocktail. So what was your favorite cocktail? Well, I mean, this is, I mean, the question is, is kind of like trying to ask what your favorite song is. And it's like, do you really have a favorite cocktail? And so I went with corn and oil um, because, I mean, it might not be my favorite cocktail, but it, it's it's certainly one that I love. Um, oh, and that's cool. It kind of, I, mean, I think rum was the spirit, the first spirit that I fell in love with when I was younger. Um, not that young, like after I was 18. <laughs> Um, but it kind of, um, <laughs> it's an effective disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, but it, yeah, kind of coincided with my love for reggae as well, which is, um, which kind of goes hand in hand. Um, and so I picked a reggae tune that would go with the corn and oil, um, which is pretty much any reggae tune. I picked, um, uh, Lonesome Journey by Eka Mouse. Um, and, Ike Mouse is, again, Ike Mouse is someone that I've had in my life from, like, quite young, because I remember, like, my brothers and my mum and dad play him, and he's, like, um, I mean, you've heard the song because mm-hmm. you because you do it anyway. Yeah, yeah, I, I knew it the whole time. <laughs> but um, he's a, he's basically a sing-jay, uh, which is a kind of uh, thing that happened sort of, like, late 70s and early 80s in reggae, which was the... Um, you have DJs and DJs are not the people who were actually the disc jockey, but they're, they're like the toaster, the MC, um, which was pretty much a precursor to rap as yeah. well. Um, but the sing J is like somewhere in the middle. So he, he kind of sings, but like kind of um, toasts and like sort of does his like sort of rhymes, like sort of half spoken, half sang. Um, and Ikemos's voice is just... It's one of my favorite voices in the world. It's just so, it's so soft and um, and just so comforting. Yeah. And like kind of therapeutic as well. So like sort of that on a beach with a corn and oil. Um, yeah. And this song is, um, there's a kind of melancholic edge to it as well. It's like he's talking about um, a girl that's left him and, um yeah she's gone yeah she's gone yeah it's just lovely um and yeah just so sweet and so yeah i I love it yeah i really enjoyed it i i think of all the genres i've had um the least uh time spent with reggae really um but it has featured a few times in like various reggae phases that i've gone through ikamas always comes up he's got this really signature sort of style of scatting yeah um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really nice. So easy to listen to. It's It feels stripped back. All right, I think that's a really good answer. Um, corn and oil, wicked cocktail, rum and falernum stirred together. Um, brilliant, sort of boozy, but tropical. Yeah, and easy and simple as well. Yeah. All right, okay, well, that's brilliant. We can move on to the uh, second song. The second section is song to sort of take the room up a level. Yes. Um, well, what I what I originally picked for this, which was a song that wasn't on Spotify, which meant that it wouldn't be able to go on the um, on the playlist, um, 
So I'll just give like a little shout out to yeah. it. It's a song called Mustafa Dance by The Clash, which is basically their kind of dub version of uh, Rock the Casbah. And so I was, I was playing this question as I found it in the sense that as opposed to like, like I think quite often like DJs get asked like, you know, what song do you play to get the dance floor pumping or, you know, other words of that effect. Yeah. Um, but I was going, okay, this is the one that I'd, I'd play to sort of just take it up a notch. Yeah. Um, and this would be a pre-banger. Um, and it's nice because it's, <laughs> you're laughing at me and I understand why. I like um, it. But I'm definitely going to assume that word, pre-banger. Pre-banger, now. yeah. It's like pre-drinks, but, um, but yeah, yeah. It is precisely like that. Yeah, musically. musically um, audible pre-drinks. Audible pre-drinks. <laughs> But yeah, this song is, so it's basically, it's got the, the, the chorus of Rock the Casbah, but it's got like the verses are all sort of like really um, stripped back. Um, and so, you know, people kind of start moving, but they don't know why they're moving. And yeah. then they, it gets to the chorus and then they're like, oh, I remember. And like the chorus is kind of stripped back as well. So you don't have the Sharif don't like it. But anyway, that's the song that I didn't pick. Uh-huh. <laughs> um I picked Modern Love by Bowie, by David Bowie. Um, for years, I, I didn't know that this was a Bowie song. Um, and these are the years before Shazam and stuff like that, where you had to actually put the work and effort in to find out what a song was. Yeah. Um, I thought it was Elton John or something. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just, it's a perfect pop song. It's really upbeat. Um and it still feels a little bit obscure as well. It's almost like, yeah, yeah. But the I feel like the um the sort of chord progression in it immediately is quite recognisable. You would recognise the song, but maybe not associate it immediately with David Bowie. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's how I felt for for much of my life. Yeah. Um. Oh, it is such a banger. Yeah. Um. I've I've enjoyed this uh, so much. Um. Getting people who's music taste I've long respected to send me a four song playlist yeah just really joyful and sitting there especially when one of them is a song to take the raw upper level and just seeing how different different people approach different it. people do it because I mean it's different um, I guess different um, what's the word I'm looking well different genres quite quite often you know different people have play with different styles really so you know mine is as as i was saying before you know for the sun tavern it's non-specific rock and roll what the hell is that but yeah. it's everything that it, it can be and and then like sort of like vintage soul and funk down at discount so yeah um yeah you know different people like but the one thing they're all going to have in common is they're going to be pretty good yeah <laughs> I, it certainly has been that way so far um and like you say it's just this yeah, different genres and different philosophies on it. And testament to that is uh, this was just so resonant of my time. Sure. Uh, at the Sun Tavern thinking, oh, yeah, here we are. It's about 10.30 p.m. And you, and you, 10 p.m. And you'd be hearing Modern Love. That's my feeling. Really? Or is it a bit earlier than that? It'd be, it'd be later than that for, oh, would it? for me. But however, I'm not the only DJ that plays there, so, you know. Yeah. That's... All right. Well, you are head of music. Yeah, but I mean, I, I I don't rule with an iron fist. You're a cool head of music. <laughs> sort of chuck the book out the window. I mean, mate, if someone's got the bangers to be playing this one at 10.30, then I'm all for it. Oh, I see, because then you've got to follow it with... Then, yeah. yeah. Or, or, yeah, whichever, whichever way that 
whichever way the uh, their river meanders is very nice. It's fine by me. More of that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, it is. It's it's such a such a great tune, and yeah, it, it feels like you kind of. It's almost like one of those tunes you forget existed until it comes on, and then you realise you know all the words to it, and you're like, yeah. Um, and I remember playing it at like twelve o'clock at New Year, um, a few years ago, and it was like, it went down at like enormously well, and I was like, you 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 can stay. That's a pressured moment. Yeah, I'm trying to think about what we used to play at Satan's Whiskers. I think I put. Maybe it was uh, unbelievable by Notorious B.I.G. or something. That was a hip hop place. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But it has to be someone, something that everyone, everyone knows. knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's quite a bold move with this one. I, th- I, I, I thought so actually. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it was. It, it did go. It went wild, and I was like, yeah, you made the right decision there. Oh, that's wicked. How do you notice people's um, sort of drinking styles change throughout the evening as you crank it up? Um, sort of well, more cocktails, less cocktails, more shots. Shots. I've got to be honest. I'm not paying that much attention to it. <laughs> I do apologize. No, that's um, fine. But then, I, but what I do notice more is shots or more shots being bought for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Um, I mean, I think. I mean, if we're in if we're in discount two company, then I mean it's basically cocktail based anyway. So yeah. um, um, just more, yeah, just more and more. Yeah. Oh well, that's good. That's Higher nice. frequency. Yeah. <laughs> you want that? Um, and obviously, both venues have an incredibly sophisticated clientele anyway. Uh, until yes, <laughs> <laughs> until a certain time, and then I mean, and that's that is the beauty of of those bars as well. Um, I think talking about. Um, talking about the um the ethos and why music is so important is also the um you know discount is a cocktail bar um and then the sun is a cocktail bar but it's an irish whiskey bar yeah um and it's it does serve pints as well yeah um so it kind of ticks every box really um but in in the sort of cocktail bar vibe you don't really get that many that have like a kind of dive bar-y sort of vibe to it as well where it's like you know until 10 30 it is okay you know everyone sit down um you can stand if you want but after 10 30 we will crank the music up a little bit and we do like to get raucous and you know we kind of wear that on our sleeve and we're like you know we, we, we make no bones about it that's what we do you know that there are plenty of times we'll get um reviews saying it's a bit loud at the weekend and it's like yeah sorry for that yeah. but it is um well, i would say the two of them gracefully walk such brilliant tight ropes sure um not leaning too far in either direction sort of being a really traditional pub in one aspect for the sun tavern but then in the other it all feels so well put together and considered and curated yeah um, and then, yeah, with Discount Suit Company, you're aware that it feels like, you know, a somewhat serious cocktail environment. But at some point, you know, it's going to get a little bit sort of rowdy in there. Yeah. And I think I think that's the thing is it, and and also even from like sort of social media ways, we try and, you know, if it is kicking off and it is like sort of everyone's having a boogie, um, we will try and get that on the story. So. Yeah. 
so people can go, oh, that's that place looks amazing, but also so people realize what they're getting themselves into prior to to coming down. It's like, okay, you know, did this could get a little bit things could go awry. Yeah. That's considerate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, brilliant. Love that one. Um, the next song is one that reminds you of your first time working within venues. Yes. So I think I think I played this this question a little bit different. Um, so it was I think in the question it said sort of venues and it had playlists and it said live music and stuff like that. So Whatever I just went, capacity. Yeah, I just went to what um something that reminded me of me getting into music. And so like back in the days of yore, I was in a band called the Bandits around Liverpool. Um, and we came out of the same sort of scene as like the Coral and the Zootons who went on to do much better than we did because they were better bands than we, <laughs> than we were. Um, but we used to run a club night um, called the Bandwagon, which was kind of the epicenter of that scene uh, in a place called the Zanzibar. And so that's where we started DJing. And like, you know, we weren't playing bangers. We didn't have the idea of bangers o'clock. <laughs> like we might play a little bit of Otis Redding, just like. Oh, wow. Um, but like if we'd be playing reggae and we'd be playing um, all kinds of just off the wall stuff that we just sort of come up with and can. Um, and one sort of like the one sort of staple that was around all of those bands at that time um, was Captain Beefheart, who's like the sort of 60s psychedelic um, absolute nutter. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, it just seemed like around that time, any time that I'd ask, that I felt the need to ask, who's this? Like when there was a song playing, the answer would always be Beefheart because... A, I didn't know it, and B, it was, it was that good that I was like, I need to know who this is. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, it was just like, like this sort of, um, yeah, continuous stream of beef art and everyone, and it's kind of a Liverpool tradition, or it certainly was back then that like beef art will be handed down from generation of musician to generation. Does oh really? It, yeah. Does it? I mean. I think wherever you come from, you kind of think, oh, that's the way we do it, you know, and you, yeah. you go. But I, like having spoke to a lot of musicians from outside of Liverpool, they, they're, they're aware that there was a quite Liverpool thing about BFAR, not that. Because I suppose the natural assumption would be that it would be the Beatles. But do <laughs> yeah. they sort of transcend? I think that's kind of, yeah, that, that you get that with your cornflakes. Yeah, yeah. It's like you've had you've had that. I mean, to be honest with you, I was always more of a Stones fan than a Beatles fan. Although I love the Beatles, but I just love the Stones a bit, a little bit more. But yeah, I picked a song called "Sure Enough" and "Yes I Do" by Captain Beefheart, which is groovy as hell, mm. um, but kind of countryish, and he does his best sort of Howlin' Wolf impression all over it. And, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it. It was the first time I've heard it. Um, yeah, I'm excited for people to hear this one. Uh, and then the final one, we have a song for a venue that you'd like to shout out. Yes. Well, I mean, I I felt like I've played like some songs for me and then like Modern Love was about um, the Sun Tavern. Yeah. Um, more so. So I thought I should do... Um, a shout out to Discount Sioux Company or a, a, a song for them. Um, 
So as I said before, that's more sort of funk and soul based. And um, yeah, it started out as Northern Soul. And so I picked um, just a little misunderstanding by the contours, um, which is a a staple of Discount 2 Company. It's on their playlist, I know, because I may put it there twice. (laughs) Um, But um, also it's a song that I, whenever I DJ down there, I will definitely be playing that. Um, but it's also, speaking of like we're doing a podcast here, we also do umbrella radio podcasts yeah. for both of our um, venues. So we do one for the Sun Tavern, which is the rock and roll one. We do one for Discount 2 Company, which is Funk and Soul. And this was the first song that I played on our um, podcasts. Um, this was, and, and also, and it's just a great tune. Um, the piano intro um, just sort of set you up for, oh, something's happening yeah it's just like a really yeah really good intro i really really enjoyed it um and in a place in bristol that i used to work in called the milk thistle um i'm not sure if they still do but motown was always the uh, genre they played there yeah. and i'd never heard um motown played in cocktail bars before but something about it is really good also in this place it was offset by the fact that it was like quite a traditional speakeasy quite plush and taxidermy and stuff but motown just makes everything so relaxed and fun it's it's really joyful but also heartfelt yes um all of those things definitely heartfelt i mean you can hear it in the, like the emotion and the voices and the straining of marvin gay and um all of the rest of it and in fact, I think Norman Whitfield, who was his producer, used to put, um, used to make it so the the key of the song would be just out of his range, just so, so he get reach that, for it. So he really, yes, yeah, so you could really feel him going for it, and and that, that is emotion, and that that is like the thing that you can feel in That's that a cool method. Yeah, um, a bit a bit on top, if you ask me, um, but yeah. I mean, those were the different times, I guess. Um, you wouldn't have done that. I just don't think that I would have been able to do that. Sure. I mean, Marvin Gaye's a different person to me. So, <laughs> you know, um, I th- yeah, if I was Marvin Gaye, it'd be a different story. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, but, um, <laughs> yeah. But it, it is, it's heartfelt. But also, there's something, there's something about um, Motown and, and Soul but like especially Motown, that you can, it sounds like you know it, even if you don't know the song, because so many of the drum fills, so many of the sounds, you know, they're all done in the same studio. Um, and like there is, there's about three drum fills that are like, oh, that's a Motown drum fill. Yeah. You know, it's all the same players who are playing on it. Um, and yeah, so it, it makes you feel, comforted you feel like you're at home yeah you you know it um even if you don't and it's also like it also sets a time it sets a tone and a time because it it is vintage you know it is from from the old time to the olden days the old days the old times the old times yeah the 60s but it 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 sets a it it sets a tone and it it, you know it, it allows you you know especially as a dj it's like you know if you've been playing that all night and like someone comes up and asks you for Beyonce and I've got nothing against Beyonce, but it just doesn't, it's not what's played around the, I mean, it's good to put sort of parameters around what you're doing. Yeah. And um, 
it's like, you know, you get less people asking that kind of thing because they're like, you've just listened to what I've been playing all night. Yeah. You know, why do you think that I'm going to be playing that? Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it's just such a good tune. And this helps people to understand that more naturally. Yeah, I think so. Because it feels familiar. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love it. I think it's, it's a brilliant genre and it, uh, it sort of evokes that sort of 60s, amazing Harlem club live music, people being, being dressed up. It has this conviviality yeah, about it. Yeah, it's totally in the sort of like Sammy Davis Jr. or, or, or Sam Cooke and like, like that moment in Goodfellas where like they're, they're bringing a table round and like, there you go, you got, you got front, seat, yeah. front row seats. It makes you want to put a tenner in someone's pocket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where's the matrix here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, another thing about that tune is that it was written by Stevie Wonder and Stevie Wonder's playing the drums on it. And oh, it was good when, fact. And when, it, it, when I was researching that song, it was then that I found out the fact that Stevie Wonder's first name is not Stephen, but Steveland. Oh, another one. Yeah, which is, that... <laughs> which is incredible. It's just like I've never heard that, that, that name before. That's great. Steveland. Steveland. That is class. I, I don't think his, his surname's not Wonder either, obviously, but I can't remember what it is. That it, doesn't matter. It's, Steveland. Yeah, Steveland. Yeah. yeah. You can follow that with any second name. That is a, that, thank you for those two facts. <laughs> Dude, thank you so much for coming on here. Thanks for having me. It's been really enjoyable. Such a fan of your work. Uh, and it, I, just by podcasts, so if just as a, um, just a bit of, advertisement uh, you oh, can please. we have been a little bit lax on our um on our podcasting more recently but you can find us on spotify if you just look for umbrella radio and you can find all our reggae podcasts our uh, rock and roll podcasts and our um soul and funk podcasts also available on mixcloud as well that's just umbrella radio nice. but yeah forgive me for the oh i'm so so happy to share our space <laughs> with you guys it's an honor um and also check out the sun tavern and discount suit company if you haven't already been they will be your new favorite bars uh dude thank you so much well, absolute all. pleasure thanks for having me nice one thanks for listening to another episode of bar fabric presents if you've enjoyed the show please share and leave us a review if you've missed episode one and two check them out now we have a segment called four more bars which talks about the importance of music setting the right atmosphere in bars and venues. There's an accompanying playlist every episode, so you can hear all of the tracks Joseph talks about with his guest. It's available on Spotify, so check it out now. You can find more information on our guests in the show notes. And finally, a huge thank you to the team. I'm Ali Didienko. This podcast was recorded at Capsule 24 Studios in London and produced by Silver Music Entertainment.